late March of 2020, uh, Dr. Fauci here was sent an email from one of the employees in his organization saying, you know, we've reviewed all the high quality randomized controlled trial evidence on mask wearing to stop respiratory viruses. And all of it suggested that there's no benefit. April 3rd, Fauci and the CDC come out and say everybody should be wearing a mask to stop the spread of COVID. Uh, obviously, there was no new evidence that was, you know, surfaced in two days, three days between all the, you know, that, that email being sent and recommendation happening. I think that's a pretty good summation of what the evidence said is that there was no good evidence that mask wearing would make a difference. Um, you know, you can go back and look at the, the pandemic planning documents, which I, which I did. And, you know, none of them really mentioned mask wearing as something that would make much of a difference, if, if at all. Welcome to the New Slash Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Orpike, and joining me once again is Mr. Jonathan Astro. Uh, you didn't you didn't ask me how I was. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> so you just left it. So then I have to come in and say, hello, everybody. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am okay, and uh, I am... You know, if there's one thing I'm not doing, Ricky, it's wearing a fucking mask. Mm, yes. All right. Did you did you enjoy wearing wearing masks? Um. Well, when I was told they worked, I guess. But mm. then, um, I read this book, uh, by a, a guy we're going to speak to in about five seconds, uh, who says it's all bollocks. So yeah. now I'm really angry about it. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, kinkos out there that that are they're a bit sad that masks are going. Yes. Well, you know, they can wear them. I just don't have to wear them. Mm. All right. We're going to speak to Ian Miller. He's wonderful. Uh, so let's let's get into it. Ian Miller is the author of Unmasked, The Global Failure of COVID Mask Mandates, which the Australian's Adam Crichton describes as, quote, a rigorous demolition of forced masking that will shake readers' faith in the intelligence of the population and the honesty of public health officials. Close quote. Ian's work has been featured on national television broadcasts, national and international news publications, and referenced in multiple best-selling books covering the pandemic. He writes a Substack newsletter also titled Unmasked. Ian, welcome to the New Flash. Thanks so much for having me. Now, it seems like we're talking to you at, at just the right time. Before we get into your book Unmasked, would you be able to tell us the situation in the US in terms of mask mandates? Because apparently you don't have to wear masks on public transport anymore? Right. So it just changed. Literally, uh, it's in the middle of the day, in the middle of flights, people were able to take their masks off to uh, raucous applause on planes. We saw a lot of videos of people celebrating and a uh, flight attendant walking down the aisle carrying a trash bag for masks, which was uh, delightful to see. Um, it is uh, across most of the country. There are very few places that have general mask mandates anymore. Uh, Philadelphia just reinstated one. Um, but for the most part, Things have been pretty much lifted. Um, there, unfortunately, there are still a number of school districts where they are are forced masking kids across the country. Um, I don't. I have very little doubt that there will be the return of mask mandates the next time that we have a significant increase. A lot of areas have already kind of uh, said that they just will abide by the CDC thresholds. So as soon as you know cases rise above a certain level, they'll just automatically reinstate masks. Um, but for now, at the very least, we have. Uh, a blissful couple of months where we don't have a lot of mask mandates throughout the country. So, just to be uh, uh, more specific, this was the, the, this these mandates were actually shot down by a Trump appointed judge. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, uh, the basically the judge uh, sided with the plaintiffs, saying that the CDC did not have the authority to enforce a federal uh, mask mandate on transit, and and it's not just planes; it was buses and at airports and things like. Uh, 
you know, uh, at stations, train stations, national rail service, things like that. So, uh, um, yeah, it was a, it was a very important ruling because it it showed that not only was there did they not have the authority. Um, she specifically said the judge specifically said that they had not justified their decision making process particularly well. So um, it was you know it's a kind of a legal term, but arbitrary and capricious was the ruling that the mandate was not um, not backed up by the CDC in a in a convincing manner. So um, it was kind of a multifaceted takedown of the CDC's. Uh, federal transportation mask mandate. And has there, has there been any pushback, even in these early stages of that ruling from people who are very pro-mask, pro-lockdown? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's been a, a huge outcry. It's always hard to tell because Twitter is so, you know, determines so much of the kind of national conversation about these issues. And it also, you know, leans very heavily towards people who are pro-restriction, pro-mandate, um, you know, inordinately scared of COVID, things like that. Um, so, you know, if you go by like the kind of verified journalist Twitter reaction in the United States, it's been overwhelmingly negative. Um, the White House essentially kind of in a, in a very weird statement uh, said that they would be appealing the ruling if the CDC deemed it, deemed it was necessary to do so. And I believe the CDC did do that, but they're not asking for a stay, which would kind of immediately put these rules on pause. So it shows you it's much more about retaining the power to make these kinds of mandates than it is about any public health justification. Because if it was such an emergency, if they thought it was such an emergency, you know, they would have asked for an immediate stay of this ruling where they could force people to wear masks again on planes and in, in airports. They're not doing that. They're appealing, theoretically. So it could, they have up to 60 days to file the appeal, which means you, know, you could go two plus months and then months afterwards in terms of the decision from a, a possible appeal. Um, so it, it it's kind of a... A mix right now where there definitely has, has been some pushback from a lot of the kind of Twitter doctors, Twitter medical experts, uh, commentators on, on networks like CNN and MSNBC, which are very pro-restriction and pro-mandate. Um, a lot of kind of uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth there. Uh, but I would say overall, the reaction has been very positive. I mean, I think the videos kind of speak for themselves of people being thrilled to take the masks off. And in terms of, you know, perhaps your anecdotal experience, uh, what, what are, pe are people taking their masks off? Um, because I, I just read a tweet, well, I was re have been reading your tweets, uh, but there's Adam Crichton, who I mentioned before, he's an Australian journalist and he's in, in DC and he says 80% in his uh, of the people he's seen are still masking in DC uh, as if nothing's happened. Yeah, it's really varied depending on where you go. Um, I'm in Southern California, and and that's been a very pro restriction, pro mandate location, and it, it is incredibly variable depending on even where you go within Southern California. So, for example, San Diego, um, which is a more kind of moderate, middle of the road type of place, has been a very very few people I would say are masking consistently here. Maybe it's twenty percent, and in some areas it's it's close to zero. I mean, it's very very low. But when you go up the road just hundred miles away to Los Angeles, um, you know it's still. I would say you walk into a store and fifty plus percent of people are wearing masks inside. Uh, a lot of them are still wearing masks outside. Um, and but then even sometimes within Los Angeles, it's different. If you go to a, a, a theme park or a sporting event, which you know the people that are attending those things are very clearly either you know, just done with COVID or not scared, don't care, have already had it, whatever. Um, you know, very, nobody's wearing a mask in those, in those areas when they don't have to. Um, but again, if you go to certain parts of the, of the, the area, West Los Angeles, for example, a lot of wealthy uh, people live, you go to the market there and people are still 
you know, again, more than half of people I would say are wearing masks. So it's really varied. I'm not surprised that Adam said that because DC has been a very heavily mass area this whole time. Um, you know, you go somewhere like Florida, it's much lower. Well, middle of the country, it's much lower. Texas, Arizona, places like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a hugely varied response depending on where you go, which has honestly made the U.S. Uh, a really fertile ground for comparison because you have so many different responses and different reactions and compliance and things like that throughout this, you know, this massive country. Yeah, well, that's a great place to pivot onto your book. So uh, Unmasked, I have described this as the it's the most infuriating thriller of the year. Uh, with with bad guys that only, that any Bond film would be would be would benefit from the bad guys in this book. I mean, Fauci and and the CDC, they're all the gangs all there. So I suppose let's just start with what was your the the, the catalyst for the book? Was there a single moment when you decided? Again, this is my words, but if you, you decided you'd, you'd had enough of these mask mandates and you wanted to look into it, I don't know if there was a single moment. I think it was kind of a. a, a cascading effect. Uh, as I mentioned, being in Southern California, you know, we've been very, very pro-mandate here, at least the, the politicians and health authorities have been. Um, and so early on in 2020, I started to look at the kind of local data here for myself and see you know, what's what's happening. And I know we're doing all this stuff. Is it making a difference? And um, there were, you know, at the time, there were some actual comparisons you can make between areas that had mass mandates and those that didn't. And I kept doing those comparisons, looking at the data, and every single time it would show up that there was no difference or the areas with mandates were doing worse, um, which was, of course, the opposite of what we were told was going to happen, that you know, areas without mandates were going to be uh, un, you know, unmitigated disaster areas. Um, and, and so you know, I, it got me looking at it in a, in a broader sense, too, and I got kind of noticed by people with a lot of larger Twitter followings and so then I would start getting people to say like, hey, can you look at my area? Can you look at this part of the country or this part of the world? And, you know, we've had a mandate since then and the numbers have gone up. Can you look at it? So I'll look at it and sure enough, you know, they put the mandate in and then two months later, cases have broken every record before that. Um, so it kind of just spiraled out from there where I realized that people were really looking for this. They were looking for this information and nobody was providing it on a consistent basis. Um, you know, and I, I've, always, I've said it a million times, but now, this should have been the media's job. I'm I'm one person. I'm one guy, and you know I'm I'm do this, but you know I don't have the resources of a a, a data visualization team and things like that. You know anybody could be doing it, but this should have been the media's job to to kind of show this information and and you know say question the authority figures that would say, oh, it's so important for us to have these mandates, and then sh say, well, you know, here the New York Times created this graphic showing in New York City when we did this, the numbers went up 10,000% or whatever the number would be in a couple of weeks. So if it was so important, why is that happening? You know, or New Jersey lifted their mask mandate. I've done this one a couple of times. New Jersey lifts their mask mandate. New York still keeps it. And New Jersey has better numbers. And they're, you know, the same, traje same trajectory the whole time. How can that be if these, these mandates are so important? Um, but the media never was doing that. So it, at any point, really, and they're still not really doing it. So, um, you know, it, it just kind of spiraled. And as, I, as the platform grew, I realized it's people would ask me over and over again, you know, where can I find all of your graphs in one place? And, it, you know, there's not really a great way to do that. Unfortunately, you can't just put two, I've done over 2000 at this point. You know, you can't put 2000 graphs on a Web page and, and just with no context and say, have at it. Um, and I thought that there was a kind of a broader story to tell there with what was going on with the pre COVID science and and how did things change and all the statements that were made? So uh, a book became a, a format I thought that could be really useful in 
show a lot of these graphs um, in one place at one time without making it just a blank web page with no notations and things like that. Yeah, well, before we get knee deep into the book, I'm not sure what your situation's like in your part of the USA, but here in Australia, both John and I have seen fervent, almost cult-like devotion to mask wearing. Have you received much blowback uh, from the mask wearing COVID bedwetters for your outspoken views on masks? Oh yeah, definitely. You get a ton of pushback. I've had some some uh, fans that have uh, you know, said some really <laughs> very hurtful things. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it just. I, you expect that I have, you know, I don't have some huge following, but I have enough of a following where you're going to attract enough, some, some negative attention. And obviously people are very, as you say, it's very cult-like. It's a very kind of religious fervor about masking. And I, I think it, get, it kind of gets wrapped up in these, a broader set of, of ideologies where, uh, you know, I don't know if you have this down there, but in the U S we, a lot of people will put up these yard signs, especially in 2020. And it's like in this house, we believe in science and among other you know, kind of political slogans. And <laughs> I, I say it's, it's the believe in science crowd where it, it's just this kind of like, I'm one of the good guys because I do the right thing. I do what I'm told. I've listened to the experts. I follow the science. Um, and, and what that means, I think, in, in practice is that people kind of outsource all of their critical thinking to other people, to, to experts, to whoever the credentialed person of the day happens to be. Um, and, and unfortunately, you're never really going to reach those people. And they've become it's become this kind of uh, well, and also I would say that they, they were kind of given license to do that, to, to have that attitude by by politicians and by experts saying masks are only going to work if everybody wears it, which is ludicrous for many reasons. But I think it gave that kind of segment of the population the freedom to feel like they could create an other category for somebody who wasn't wearing a mask. Um, and I get I get a lot of people that will criticized me personally oh you're not an expert um which i don't know what the experts have gotten right during covid but um and and also just there i think there's like a, a kind of visceral lashing out because people are are so convinced that what they're doing makes them a good person and they don't want to be told that you know all this stuff has actually not accomplished anything that doesn't fulfill their kind of inner sense of inner divinity to be harsh but i think that's uh it's definitely taken on that kind of religious cult-like aspect here as well. Well, when you were talking about those yard signs, it made me think of uh, that line from The Simpsons where Homer uh, yells at Bart and says, in this house, we obey the laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, which is, that's him saying we follow the science. So, uh, but, but why, if we take it to that next level, why has it, how did it go from, you know, public safety to become so political? Well, I think it's a good question. Um, I think it, it became, I, it, part of it is that, at least in the United States, it's definitely been the kind of political left that has really adopted the mandates as, as their, as a, as a kind of a totem and a signal of their, their political ideology. Um, and I think that there's a kind of sense of self-importance that they derive from it that, um, you know, is based off of people with credentials telling them that they were right and that they're, they're doing the right thing. Um, you know, I think it's, it's also that the, at least here in the United States, I'm not sure how it is down there, but in the U S the kind of main institutions of media information are very far left places like the New York times and the Washington post and, uh, you know, Los Angeles times and, and all these other kind of, you know, major media outlets, CNN, um, they, they lean very heavily left. So those are the places that were most pro restriction, most pro mandate, you know, they went from 
saying masks don't work, you're an idiot for wearing them to everybody needs to wear a mask. It's the kind thing to do. Um, and people on the political left kind of only get their information from those places. And because those places have the authority of their names of, of being, you know, CNN, New York Times, um, I think it kind of spiraled into this, this very politicized issue where you know, people on the left were convinced that they had the right information because it came from major media outlets. Um, it, it, and it's, it's really, you know, I think a lot of Republican politicians in the United States did a very poor job as well. So it, it's not just a problem on the left, um, but it is predominantly that way here. And I, I think that it's, it gets, like I said, it kind of gets wrapped up in all these broader ideologies. So it's, it's wrapped up in the belief in science. It's wrapped up in, you know, I, I put the right hashtag in my profile picture. I changed my profile picture to the current, whatever the current cause of the political left would be. Would, now it's everybody has a Ukraine symbol, things like that. It kind of gets all tied in together. So that's, at least that's my personal sense. Before we talk about masks, what sort of facts did you did did you uh, assume uh, about COVID and how it spreads before you you know in your book? Well, um, you know, I think the biggest one of the biggest reasons why it doesn't work is that is that COVID is mostly spread and maybe entirely spread through kind of airborne particles. Um, it's not droplets. So the whole idea of six feet social distancing, all that stuff was based off of the idea of droplets coming out that would fall to the ground within six feet. But that's not how it's spreading. It's being spread through aerosols, which are airborne particles. It just It's kind of like smoke. It fills up a room. When somebody has COVID in the room and they breathe, the airborne particles go up into the air. And if you're susceptible, you could get it. Um, that's that's It became kind of an accepted thing. Um, and I, I wrote about this in the book. I believe the World Health Organization initially said, Oh, that's not true. There is no airborne transmission of, of COVID. Of course, they also said there was no human-to-human transmission of COVID. So uh, clearly, they were they were all uh, doing a great job on this. But um, you know, I think that became one of the biggest changes over time as the people started to acknowledge the reality that it, it is airborne transmission. It's the only way a lot of these these transmission events make sense. Um, and in doing so, you know, I think in the book, it really as soon as you accept that, and I, I bring this up. All any case for these mitigation measures is completely useless. There's there's no hope for any of this stuff to work because it's none of these measures are effective. You know, six feet doesn't matter if it's in the air; it's just going to hang in the air. Smoke doesn't dissipate dissipate within six feet, um, and on, you know the things like masks don't block aerosol particles, and and they don't they're not preventing aerosols from getting out into the air. Um, so I think that's the biggest kind of. I, you know, I think that's where all the evidence leads. So that was uh, one one thing I brought up in the book that's part of the why this has all not worked. Yeah, well, a, a friend of mine runs a, a speech therapy clinic and she had a positive COVID case come through her place and was forced to shut up shop and pay $3,000 for what was called a, a deep clean. Uh, I'm not sure if that kind of surface cleaning was going on or not in the US, but was there ever any evidence to suggest that COVID-19 can be transferred via surfaces? I, you know, I haven't seen any great evidence for it. I mean, the, that was one of the things the CDC here kind of abandoned really quickly was that it was spread via, via surfaces. They kind of acknowledged that. Of course, the kind of safety regime of stuff has not gone, fully gone away where you still see notices on businesses. Oh, you know, for your safety, we're cleaning, deep cleaning these surfaces now, you know, 10 times a day. And it's like, we all know it doesn't, transmit via surfaces really but it just you know again it's like there there's all this uh 
I think it was an abundance of caution type thing. Like we don't know if this is the case, so we're going to act like it is for the time being. Um, you know, I, I don't think that the there's a great there was a great case for respiratory viruses being spread via surfaces. I mean, it might be happening to some limited extent. Um, I don't personally know. I haven't seen a lot of great research on one on on that one way or another. Um, but I, you know, I think it was it was part of that. Like, well, we better should we should be safe. So got to be safe, you know, better safe than sorry. And so it became this kind of, uh, you know, tyranny of, of useless disinfectant and surface cleaning. You know, one, one kind of atmospheric thing in a room that might actually make a difference is ventilation. If you had, you know, circulating air more frequently, if you have better ventilation in the, in the you know, the indoor environment, that can make a, a, a help, you know, a potentially help. But yeah, disinfecting and that, that kind of penalty for having to clean your, your room or whatever it is, is, is just mind-bogglingly incompetent. So not surprised that that was the case, but it is totally useless. Well, in your book, you, you, you go into some of the history, uh, the, the pre-pandemic conditions. So what, what was the worldwide consensus on, on mask wearing to mitigate the spread of respiratory viruses prior to the pandemic? Yeah, I've brought it up a bunch, but I think it's really one of the most important things that uh, I found when kind of researching the book and everything else was uh, that in late March of 2020, uh, Dr. Fauci here was sent an email from one of the employees in his organization saying, you know, we reviewed all the high quality randomized controlled trial evidence on mask wearing to stop respiratory viruses. And all of it suggested that there's no benefit. So this is like March 31st, April 3rd, Fauci and the CDC come out and say everybody should be wearing a mask to stop the spread of COVID. Uh, obviously, there was no new evidence that was, you know, surfaced in two days, three days between all, the, you know, that, that email being sent and recommendation happening. Um, I think that's a pretty good summation of what the evidence said, is that there was no good evidence that mask wearing would make a difference. Um, you know, you can go back and look at the, the pandemic planning documents, which I, which I did, and you know, none of them really mentioned mask wearing as something that would make much of a difference, if, if at all, or if they ever mentioned masking. Um, you know, the UK government said we're not going to stockpile masks um, because there's no reason to do so for, for a pandemic. Um, you know, the, the World Health Organization basically said we have no good evidence to suggest mask wearing would work, but we might recommend it anyway, just because, uh, you know, very confusing. But, um, you know, the UK's health services agency specifically also said that masks don't stop aerosols. They don't stop airborne particles. Um, and then, of course, which is what they all said. If you go back and look at their statements in March of 2020, they were all kind of saying the same thing. It's, there's no good evidence that it works. And then all of a sudden, you know, within a month or two, they changed their minds and say, oh, everybody's got to wear a mask now. It's really important. Um, so, you know, I think it's one of those, those really important questions that, you know, you know, there's a lot of different potential answers, but uh, all of the evidence basically pre-COVID suggested that masks would not make a difference. And I think all the evidence after COVID has, has confirmed that. Well, are there are there many studies out there on the effectiveness of masks to protect people? Because it seems like, yeah, we're, we're not citing many studies out there usually. Yeah, I mean, there's been, CDC has tried. They've done a couple of them. I, I go through some of them in the book and they're they're very, very, very poorly done and kind of pre-constructed to try to get the result they want. Um, and, and even even if you take their results at face value, you know, one of the examples they, they used in, in the study that I kind of debunked in the book is that it, it basically was uh, associated with like a 1% reduction in, num in their numbers. That was the best they could do was like less than 1%. So even assuming that their, their methods are right and that you could attribute it to masking and mask mandates, uh, redu reduce 
the numbers by 1%. Now, that's a far cry from early on. A lot of the media articles were like, oh, if 80% of people wear masks, we can stop COVID permanently. I mean, so we can eradicate it, basically. It'll be over. Uh, and then the CDC comes out less than a year later and says, oh, you know, 1% reduction. Um, assuming that their methods were accurate, which I don't think they really were. Um, you know, then the CDC recently tried by doing a, a study in California to say, oh, you know, mask wearing was re- associated with a reduction in the likelihood of positive testing, except in their own study, they uh, included a result that was not statistically significant, which, I mean, it's just like science 101 is that you can't do that. You can't have a, if it's not statistically significant, there's no result, result. It's, it's a null result, result. And, um, they still published it. So I think that kind of goes to show you how desperate they are to try to justify their recommendations. They're willing to kind of abandon any basic scientific principles. Um, you know, I think the, the mechanistic studies that have been done are just totally unreliable. I mean, you can't have a mannequin in a laboratory with a perfectly fitted mask that is not touched or used and then say, well, it blocks some droplets and say that means masks work in the general population. Um, so I think those are all kind of, you know, useless in, in, in general anyway. Um, you know, in the real world, the, the randomized controlled trials that have been done, there was one in Denmark and that showed that there was no difference in mask wearing um, between those that were, were told to wear masks and those that didn't. Um, and there was one in Bangladesh that also essentially came, came out with a null result. There was a no result for cloth masking and there was a minimal effect for surgical masks, but only for those over 50 which kind of shows you that they had to whittle down the demographics to find any kind of benefit that they could find. Cause there is no, why would, why would it only work for those over 50? And why would you even look, think to look for that? You know, wouldn't you just check all the villages? And even then there was a difference of 20 cases total over three months. in in these thousands of villages that they surveyed, um, so it was 20 cases and that was their big result. So I think both, both kind of randomized controlled trials have shown that there is there's no benefit. There's no impact to it whatsoever. Well, there, there is a study out of Arizona that many health bureaucrats use to justify mask wearing, particularly in schools. And CDC Director uh, Rachel Walensky loves to cite this one. Uh, uh, the study claims that schools in Arizona, which do not have mask mandates, are 3.5 times more likely to have COVID outbreaks. Now, this study has been spectacularly debunked by David Swag. Uh, he found that the study uses bad methodology and inflated statistics. Um, somehow the study cites more schools than actually exist in Arizona. Uh, do you know Do you know about this study? Like, can you tell us more about it? And is it still being used to justify masks? Yeah, I, I'm not as familiar with the, the exact details of it, but I'm definitely familiar with it. I read David's article, which was fantastic. I uh, just spoke to him for a couple of hours, actually, a couple of weeks ago. And he's, he's a brilliant, wonderful writer. And you know, it, it, he kind of hit the nail on the head. There's so many methodology, methodological issues with the study that it's essentially useless. And, you know, he contacted the authors of the study and basically said, tell me what, why am I wrong here? And they couldn't do it. They basically just said, defended our, they defended their methods. Um, it's, it's a really, I think it's, again, it's an example of what I was just saying, how these studies are very poorly conducted in, in almost every circumstance. Uh, they would never hold up to any kind of scrutiny. If this was in a college setting, if they were being, you know, kind of graded on their work, it would never, never pass muster. But because it's in service of the, the greater good of trying to force people to wear masks, uh, in their, in their opinion, I think a lot of really shoddy work gets through. Um, I, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with, with the criticisms as well. It's like, it's just, there was, 
they they were using schools that uh you know like i said there were too many that didn't even exist in arizona and some of the schools i think had mass mandates or didn't have mass mandates um that they credited the wrong way things like that so yeah very poorly done um and but that's that's par for the course for the cdc you know their their mmwr releases which are a lot of what, when these studies are released is this mmwr you know it specifically says we're not this is not a scientific journal it's not an objective source of information it's there to promote cdc policy so that's that's what they're doing they are they the cdc policy is everybody should wear masks kids should wear masks so they look for ways to try to justify it and and doing so because they can't really i think the results are not there to do it they have to kind of resort to these really really kind of nefarious methods unfortunately and um it's it's frankly dangerous because you have like the head of the teachers union here in the United States always picks up on these studies and repeats them as if they're, they're fact when they are completely useless. Um, but it just doesn't matter because it kind of feeds into that, that ideology set and allows them to continue the masking policies even longer. Well, we might as well just for a minute pivot onto experts because we've talked about them a little bit. So in March 2020, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci said, quote, there's no, there's no, I won't do the accent. There's no reason to be walking walking around with, but I do read, whenever I read him, it, in my mind, I, I hear him saying it. At me. So <laughs> right, yeah. you'll, you'll, just have to, you'll just have to fill it in. Uh, so in March 2020, Dr. Anthony Vachy said, quote, there's no reason to be walking around with masks, close quote. A few days later, he reversed his opinion because he claims his original statement was made uh, to help ensure the supply of masks for hospitals, a noble white lie, if you will. So you know, we've already sort of mentioned Fauci a little bit. Firstly, what's your your take on on Fauci's backtrack? Yeah, uh, I don't think that that excuse really holds any water um, for multiple reasons. Uh, one of which, and I bring this up in the book as well, that he was emailing people privately, telling them at the time, "You don't need to wear a mask." Not, you know, this is not a general recommendation. This is a private correspondence with somebody saying in February of 2020, "Hey, I'm traveling right now. Should I be wearing a mask to protect myself or to protect others?" And he says, no, I don't, I need like flatly, I do not recommend that you wear a mask. Those are almost his exact, or I think might be exact words. So, you know, there's no way that he was uh, concerned about supply when one individual person who's a friend of his is emailing him asking for advice. He really did believe the whole time that masks work. What he would have said is, I think, you know, masks work to some extent. It might prevent you from giving it to other people or might help protect you from getting COVID. But we're not making that general recommendation yet because we want to protect the supply for healthcare workers. That's a very easy email to send. That's not what he sends. He sends, I do not recommend that you wear a mask. Um, so that's one way that it's, I think it doesn't hold up. The other is that, you know, healthcare workers uh, outside of the most extreme circumstances would never be using a cloth mask that you just pick up on the street or that you buy at a, a supermarket or order on Amazon. You know, they're going to be wearing in, at, in the best case, if this, if it actually mattered, an N95. But more often than not, they'd be wearing a surgical mask. Well, telling the general population, we recommend cloth masking, and which is what they did, and saying you know, having a certain general come out there, rolling up a T-shirt and putting it in front of his face, saying anything you put in front of your face will work. That is not going to affect the supply for healthcare workers. Um, so I don't think it was. You know, I think his reasons for saying, "Oh, it's a noble lie to protect supply," is it's, it's just a lie. It's a it's a post hoc justification for him changing his mind. Um, ironically, he was actually following science in, in February and March 20, saying nobody should wear a mask. They don't wear because um, that's what all the, the pre-COVID science said. Uh, it's just after it became 
you know, I, Fauci, I think specifically is very much a political animal. I mean, he's, he's a politician. Uh, you don't last in the U S government for nearly 40 years. Like he has and go through all these different administrations. If you're not a politician. Um, and, and I think he very quickly realized that the winds of, of were changing and that he was going to have to change with the times. And, and he also realized that there was a tremendous amount of, of power and influence and, uh, and then, you know, all these other things to be made by opposing Trump, who was kind of anti-masking early on. Um, so I think it'd be politically beneficial for him to change his mind. And But there's there's no evidence that changed. And I think you can see that looking at private correspondence. He also said, uh, quote, there's no doubt in my mind that when you compare those states, those cities, those locations that implemented significant public health measures uh, and compare it with a comparable state, city, town, location, there's no doubt that when you negate, it does make a difference, close quote. So even if you don't buy the claims by some people that Fauci is essentially some kind of Manchurian candidate for the CCP, his comments here are tough to take. I, I honestly, Ian, do not understand why he would make such unequivocal claims when he's on the record saying the opposite thing. I mean, I mean, we're not here to put him on trial, but but do you, do you have a view on on this? Is confounding to me. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm glad you picked up on that quote because that was one that you know my eyes just like lit up as soon as I saw that that statement because it's just it was so perfect. This is exactly what I've been doing and what many others have been doing, showing that the, that that statement was completely inaccurate. I mean, you cannot be more wrong than what that what he said. And um, you know, I think that he most of what he said and done is to try to get compliance. Um, I think he's a very, he's a control freak. I think he's kind of an authoritarian. I think he likes controlling people's behavior. He doesn't have a lot of respect for, for freedom. He's kind of made statements to that effect that, you know, you need to put your freedom aside at, uh, whenever I tell you to, uh, essentially. And, you know, I mean, it's a massive, he said things like, I, I am science. I represent science. No, that's not, nobody can say that. That's not how it works. Science is not an immutable set of ideas. It's ever changing and you know, hypothesis and testing and results like that's it's a process. Uh, it's not a set of, of policies that determined by one man. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to ego and hubris. And he's, uh, I, I, you know, I think once he changed his mind, it became this kind of thing, you know, this, this thing where he could never go back. Uh, he, you can't change twice. You know, you can change once, but you can't change twice. And I think he once he committed himself to that path of everybody who listens to me is going to do better. Uh, he had to keep kind of maintaining that fiction uh, throughout COVID, even as the results were, were showing that he was wrong. And of course, it's, he's also helped along with the fact that nobody, nobody in the media asks a tough question ever. He never has to face, just like you said, here's your words. This is clearly not true. Can you tell me why that's the case? Never has to answer that question. Um, so I think he's been able to kind of get away with that, that mindset for way, way, way too long. Well, we're not psychologists, but I should always be a little bit alarmed when someone uh, speaks about themselves in the third person as well. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure I've heard him say, you know, when you try and take down Anthony, like that's that's uh, that's that's next level narcissism on the from the outside. Uh, yeah, I would agree, and I think it shows again his problem the problem with him. Mm. Well, Fauci's not alone in his backflips. The Centers for Disease uh, Prevention, the, the CDC, also flip flopped on masks, right? Yeah. Um, early on, I, I quote in the book, there's a planning, do uh, one of the 
talks that the, their spokesperson was giving, and he talks about the kind of personal protective measures during a pandemic that the CDC has studied over you know 16 years of journal articles, and it's like a 200-page document or something like that. Um, you know, they did all this research and, and spent a long time putting together this carefully prepared pandemic planning document. Um, and the personal protection measures that he recommends are like staying home when you're sick, essentially, and, and uh, things like that. I mean, it's, there's no mention of masking whatsoever. And then by April 3rd, they're like masking is the most important thing you can be doing. Um, you know, I, 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 I thought a lot about, you know, why is the CDC so bad at this? And I, I don't have a great answer other than just it is an entirely a political organization at this point. Um, you know, it's, it's not really, you know, there's a lot of information that's come out afterwards about how kind of slanted their, the, the individuals are that work at the CDC. And, you know, I think that a lot of people there probably legitimately do care about disease control, but it's much more about, um, you know, public health people in general are, are very, lean very left. And, and it's, they've realized that there is a tremendous amount of power and control that they have now. And, and I'm, a lot more money is going to get poured into the CDC in the years to come because they keep saying, well, see, look, you know, everybody needs to listen to us. We're doing them. We, you know, look at pandemics now, how destructive they are. Give us more money and we'll help you control the next one. Uh, you know, already recently, the, the head of the CDC just came out and said, oh, we're going to have a modeling department, which, I mean, you can't do worse than modeling has done over the last couple of years. Um, and now they're going to do more of it. So, you know, I think it's, it kind of spirals out of that, that, that same problem with them trying to be, you know, controlling everything. And they, they are very, they're overly conservative. And, you know, I don't know how they are in Australia, but here in the United States, the CDC is still has not updated their, their guidance for the Zika virus, which has been essentially gone for what 10 15 years now um you know they they don't they recommend things like don't eat meat under and or anything under medium well i mean they're just they're not basing their recommendations on the real world it's it's based off of uh overly cautious overly fearful mindset um and and unfortunately it led to them immediately kind of panicking and abandoning all of their carefully prepared guidance early on yeah well you know, we could go. We could talk about their their buffoonery uh, uh, at length, but let's pull back a bit. I mean, you've said, "quote the lack of humility and inability to acknowledge or correct mistakes has proven to be a recurring issue amongst the expert community." Close quote. So, what effect do you think that their actions, Fauci's actions, have had on the public's relationship to experts? Oh yeah, I mean, it's been incredibly destructive. Um, you know, I think that that's one of the things that we're going to have a really we haven't even begun to kind of the surface of how damaging that will be in the long run. Um, because, you know, look, you, you do need, sometimes you do need experts to go out there and make recommendations and, and evaluate things. And sometimes they are better trained to do it than other people, but they've, they've abandoned a lot of their responsibilities as well to be truthful to the public. And I think their the public is, has really lost whatever faith they had in, in them. And you can see it in polls where trust in the CDC was something you know, like 70 or 80%. And now it's down into the you know 30s or 40s or something like that. Um, it's also a problem when your organization is being seen as, as overly politicized. I mean, when the vaccination rollout started, the CDC was created this, this uh, plan to roll it out that prioritized like young teachers over the elderly uh, for, for things like equity. And I mean, a lot of people are just looking at that going, that doesn't make any sense. We all know that COVID affects the elderly much more than it affects young teachers in a who aren't even in classrooms right now, vast majority of them. Um, 
you know, this is that's just a political decision. That's not based off of the best science. If, if you believe the vaccines are so effective, like the CDC is saying, you have to prioritize the elderly. Um, and so, you know, we had a governor in Florida, Ron DeSantis here, who basically ignored that and targeted seniors for vaccinations early on and was criticized heavily by the media for doing that. It was like, oh, well, he's not following the CDC guidance on vaccinations because seniors are an important political base for him. And it, you just want to shake your head because, it, again, it's like it just is logical sense to everybody paying attention that that's the demographic that needs it the most. Um, but the CDC didn't do that. And I, I think it's when people see decisions like that um, and see the recommendations go from, oh, wear anything in front of your face to wear, uh, no, wear a cloth mask. Now it's, oh, then wear two masks. Then it became, well, cloth masks don't provide that great of protection. So wear a surgical mask or actually an N95 is the one you want. And also, you know, we're going to target low risk teachers for vaccination. It's just over and over again, these, these recommendations are, are so bad and so poorly thought out. Um, I think the public has had enough at a certain point and it's going to be a really dangerous thing going forward that nobody's going to listen to these people anymore these these this flip-flopping is 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 really frustrating now it 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 does damage uh expertise as as you say and i just don't understand why if if you are if you do change your mind why don't you just uh either acknowledge it or or present new evidence and and build and build it into your argument as you would if you're writing a a, a a thesis or a paper you just build in the criticism and say yes well we've got new information and and you know heaven forbid you should actually i don't know if it was egregious enough uh apologize and then move on and say yeah i apologize what so what well, i mean why has none of that ever happened yeah i've asked myself that question a lot i've asked other people that question too um and the answer i've always gotten back has basically been that it's just too politically damaging to do that, that as soon as people, they, in their minds, as soon as people hear, oh, we made a mistake and we're sorry, they just focus on the mistake part and they are kind of immediately tune those people out going forward. Um, you know, you obviously polish is never really admit wrongdoing if they can help it. Um, look at, you know, with, with Boris Johnson in the UK with the party gate thing, it's like he's, you know, kind of been pushing off, pushing off, pushing off, and then he does kind of a half-hearted apology and is like, all right, let's move on from that now. Um, they just don't like saying that they did anything wrong, um, as, even if they are wrong. And I think that they they thought that they would lose trust if they admitted that they had flip flopped and without. And also, I don't think they actually had any good evidence to present to say, here's why we flip flopped, because uh, there, there wasn't any that existed back then. So um, I think it's a combination of those things. And, and they were concerned that if people as soon as people heard that they wouldn't listen. I think ironically, it has backfired on them because people have started to over time put together that a lot of these decisions are just kind of made up. You know, there's not a lot of great evidences to, to back up their, their changes. They just kind of fly by the seat of their pants. Um, and so the results have been the same. People have lost trust in them and they're not listening to their guidance and don't really care what they have to say anymore uh, because they haven't just told the truth and said, you know, we were wrong about this or, or we think we were wrong and here's why. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's two different paths that arrive at the same result. Yeah, it's, it seems that every country has a slightly different narrative when it comes to non-pharmaceutical interventions, and each narrative fits into a larger one. Can, can you talk about the mask situation in, in Sweden and the UK in, in contrast to the US? Yeah, um, so Sweden obviously has been, you know, the country with probably the, the single country with the least amount of masking 
They never had a general mask mandate. I think there were some recommendations for public transit at one point for a very brief time. Um, so hardly anybody has been wearing masks. You know, I mean, you can look at international kind of surveys that have been done. I do this in the book and, and other areas where you take the survey data and, and plot it over time. Um, you know, nobody's hardly anybody's wearing a mask in Sweden and in the, you know, versus the United Kingdom for a long time had a mask mandate. Um, the U.S. has obviously had had mask mandates kind of sprinkled throughout the country where most vast majority of states had one at one point. Um, and the results in the U.K. and the U.S. have obviously been has been much worse than in Sweden, which is the opposite of what we were told was going to happen. And so now Sweden is kind of ignored You know, for a long time when the numbers look like they were bad in Sweden. It was like, oh, well, look what a disaster this was. They should have followed the science. Now that Sweden is like 60th in the world in death rate and one of the better performing countries in the European Union. Um, it's kind of forgotten about. And I think that, you know, the UK, you can also see it's, it's, it's just, it's all, it's all so perfect with England where they kind of lifted their mask, mask mandate in the summer of 2021, numbers go down, they bring the mask mandate back in the fall and the numbers skyrocket and break every record. They lift their mask mandate again, the numbers go down. It's, it's just the same pattern of, of, you know, thinking, oh, well, we see the signs of a surge, we can control it if we wear masks. They do that nothing happens. It doesn't, it's breaks every record. They remove the mass mandate. Nothing happens. Um, you know, I think it, Sweden kind of shows that the vast majority of the spread of COVID is just completely out of our control. And, uh, so it's, it's a very, uh, lightly used example these days because it kind of highlights how much of this has been an illusion that we're all just like, Oh, well, we're in control of this. If we just do this and this and this Sweden doesn't do any of those things, numbers are better and it kind of gets pushed to the side. In the case of the UK, there you, you mentioned that you put the masks on, and then and then you see a surge. Would would that um, suggest that it's 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 following the seasons? Is that can we draw that from? So masks don't work, but but you know you're going into autumn, you're going into winter. Uh, numbers surge. Is that is that the case? Yeah, I would say that's generally the idea. Um, there's a book written uh, by I think his name is Edgar Hope Simpson that talked about the seasonality of viral spread. And um, there's a guy on Twitter who handles like hold Two LLC who has created this kind of helpful graphic showing how it works, where it's not just that seasons are the only impact, but it is the, it is probably the biggest driving single driving force. And it, it's different based off of the temperature regions and, and things that you're in. So in the American South, for example, places like Florida, the biggest seasonal stimulus time where it's, it's most impactful is the summer. It's not winter. So everybody, Every summer, we've gone through this now where the South has these big surges and everybody, oh, see, it's those Republican governors in the South and those Trump supporters that are not wearing masks in the South. That was why the numbers are going up. And then the numbers go up in the Northeast in the winter, which is when their seasonal stimulus is much higher than the South's numbers. And everybody kind of stops talking about it. Um, and I think that that's, you know, we'll, I'm almost positive we'll see that again this year where, you know, Florida and, and Georgia and other areas will see a big, you know, another sizable increase happened in June, July, August, sometime in that time frame. Um, and then we'll see another big surge kind of everywhere over the winter. So it, it is, I think the biggest, probably the biggest single biggest reason why the numbers go up at the times they go up. Um, in the UK, it's, it's been like winter is the biggest time. And then spring, you kind of also get this hump, which is essentially what happened this year too. It's, it's like a, you know, it goes down after winter and then kind of bumps up again in March, April, goes back down to much lower levels throughout the summer and then it will kind of kick back off again later this year. Um, so, you know, it, it's really, 
it, it again that's why i've been able to do a lot of this stuff with media where they will make these grand predictions like iowa removed their mask mandate in february the numbers are going to you know i wouldn't care if you live or die and the numbers go down to the lowest levels they've been at within a couple of weeks afterwards of course they are because it's mostly controlled by seasonal stim- stimulus and impacts not these npis but people in the media are so convinced that that's the biggest reason why the numbers go up or down they are they continually make these terrible projections but we're talking about other countries so we should probably talk about china a little bit uh what was the approach in china and can we trust their numbers and their statistics <laughs> i'll answer the second question first no no we cannot i don't believe for one second that we can trust anything that comes out of china as far as the data goes um you know there's there's Supposedly, you know, Shanghai has been going through this huge outbreak and nobody has died, according to the Chinese government. I mean, that's just not realistic. And, you know, if you look at their curve of, of mortality in China, it does not look like anywhere else on Earth. Um, you know, China, as we know, is a very um, it's an authoritarian country. It's, it's a dictatorship and essentially in, in, in many ways. And the central government will will do whatever they see fit in, in, in order to get the results that they want. And. Um, you know, one of the biggest, I think, mistakes in world history really was believing China early on. You know, they were hiding, I mean, almost certainly hiding where this came from, which they probably knew about early on. Um, they locked down in, in very strict ways, and that gave other countries kind of license to do the same thing, thinking, oh, well, China controlled it with these lockdowns. So can we. Um, obviously, I don't think that China controlled it with the lockdowns. I think they just stopped checking and kind of let it go away. Um, and I don't, th- and it kind of unfortunately led to this, you know, kind of uh, everybody, it's that old, that adage of like, uh, if everybody jumped off, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? Uh, that's basically what happened. Everybody jumped off the bridge, um, Italy, and then, you know, all the other European countries followed suit because uh, that even if the results didn't, weren't that great, there was a lot less potential political damage uh, by not by going along with the herd. So, you know, if you're the only country that doesn't lock down, you're going to face immense criticism, which is essentially what happened with Sweden, where they were getting huge political pressure from other countries and from media outlets and within the country from people that were you know, determined to lock the country down. Um, didn't matter that the results were better. It, it just became this kind of, uh, you know, we're the only country not doing this. Why aren't we doing it? Um, so, you know, I think China set the tone, unfortunately. And, you know, I think we're seeing right now how dangerous that philosophy actually is and playing out and all these kind of humanitarian abuses and animal abuses. And it's just kind of horrific to see the videos coming out of there, of what people are being put through there right now. And, um, you know, it's, it's complete folly. And, 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 you know, I have absolutely no doubt that numbers we're getting there are completely inaccurate. You see this, this, what we're saying, you just mentioned, uh, shanghai there and and twitter is awash with all of these these videos do you feel like this is the the sort of the the apex uh moment for 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 npis we're really seeing the most extreme uh example in shanghai right now yeah i don't know how you could do worse than this (laughs) i mean you know from the outside australia and new zealand have looked pretty darn close (laughs) unfortunately from from the u.s um but China. No, you, you don't have to count, you don't have to sugarcoat that, Ian. Because the, the, just to cut in, because the uh, we've got image we've got images that were just as frightening. We, 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 we there was two cops, like well, four, five, four or five cops holding someone, and another one forcing them 
to wear a mask, like placing the mask on them. We've had rubber bullets, the, the whole bit, you know, so but you don't have to sugarcoat it all, man. It's uh, it's we're triggered by the Shanghai. Yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, I, a lot of those images from Australia, I almost would kind of doubt if they were legitimate. I'm like, this can't, this can't be real. It can't actually be happening in, in Australia. Like this is from, you know, uh, another country in Eastern Europe or something like that from a different event. But no, it, you know, and it turns out I spoke to Adam about it too. A lot, a lot of these things that, nope, that's exactly what was happening. That's real. And it's kind of horrifying to think about that. Um, and I think it kind of goes to show you again, the dangers of following China's uh, influence and China, there's a kind of example. Um, they've, they've just kind of totally committed themselves to preventing COVID theoretically, at least and and at any case, no matter what, no matter what it takes to do so. Um, and it's, we're, we see what the results of that actually look like in practice and it's horrifying and it's not something that anybody should want. Uh, unfortunately, I think there's a huge community of people out there that have totally bought into that, that line of thinking and have made zero COVID part of their identities. You know, there's been huge advocacy groups in, in the UK and the U S saying, Oh, you know, zero COVID is the only way to go. And I'm sure it's happened in Australia as well. And um, it's, you know, we're, I think hopefully, I think this is uh, kind of helps end that, that line of thinking across the rest of the world because people are seeing what it actually looks like in practice. Um, but I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know how it, it, you know, there's so many things that have happened in kind of Western democracies that I've been absolutely stunned that have happened and that people have put up with. Um, it's hard to hard to know if we're just going to all kind of go back to normal permanently now, or if this is going to be something that pops up periodically and um, you know could be reinstated or reimposed whenever politicians feel like it at this point. So it, it's pretty scary to see it. Yeah, you, you, just then you mentioned uh, zero COVID, and I'm fascinated to know wh where are all these people that were gunning for zero COVID and do they, are they still advocating for eradication and zero COVID? Some are. Yeah. Some definitely are. Um, I think that they, some of them are doing it as to gain influence. I think, you know, one of the guys who is kind of famously was a zero COVID person was Eric Feigelding was a Twitter personality who has kind of a loose, very loose connection with Harvard for Harvard nutrition and kind of mislabels himself as an epidemiologist and, Twitter promoted him as a health expert. Um, he's amassed this huge following of people um, based off of like, oh, zero COVID is the right way to go. Hong Kong, look at how good they've done. And then, of course, all these areas that praised have seen their numbers skyrocket. Or, you know, I just <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I posted a, a quote he did of saying that, you know, the politicians in Denmark were crazy and out of their minds. And they're friggin his words used was friggin nuts for removing the restrictions. And the numbers go down like 90 percent afterwards. Um, and, you know, I know this from kind of keeping tabs on his stuff just to poke fun at it, that he just ignores the, what the next surge. He ignores it. You know, he ignores what he said previously. Um, I think a lot of it is they're just not intellectually honest people. They're doing it for, for influence and for you know, power or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, I, I think they're kind of spread out throughout the world. I think there was, a, especially in the United States, there was a huge amount of people who were told early on by the media and by people like Eric Feigelding that the reason the United States had bad numbers was because we had a bad president. So it became kind of wrapped up again in this political ideology of like, well, the U.S. could have done so much better if we had just followed China the right way and actually locked down and locked down earlier. I mean, still we have 
there was a study that just came out a couple weeks ago about the UK that if they just locked down a week earlier, they could have saved 20 to 30,000 lives. And people have brought up a lot of attacks in that study showing that basically just because they assumed lockdowns worked to save X amount of lives. And so obviously bake an assumption into a model, you're going to get the result that you want. Um, And I think it's just, yeah, it's kind of this, there's the superiority thing again, where people think like, oh, well, if you guys had all just listened to us and done zero COVID, you could have done better. Um, And then they just ignore the outbreaks that happened in all the zero COVID countries um, because it kind of contradicts their, their, their statements, but just get away with it. You know, it's really kind of crazy to witness it, but really he will, people like that will just say one thing. And then a couple months later, completely ignore what they, they said previously. Yeah, well, you've you mentioned uh, power and influence, but we haven't talked about money. I, I want to know who manufactures and sells masks. Uh, who has made bank from mask mandates? Oh my! I know it, it, it's. Tr- I mean, it's got to be tens of billions of dollars, if, if not more. On, and again, it's it's always very funny to me because you hear on the one hand, you know, I was just in London for a little over a week, and. I mean, everywhere you go, there's such about how important the climate is and the climate crisis. And, you know, well, we're doing all this work at Heathrow to ensure that we're, our emissions go down. Um, meanwhile, all these governments and the same kind of political left that's advocating for, for climate crisis is completely okay with tens of millions of masks ending up in trash and landfills that are not biodegradable materials or ending up in oceans and rivers and streams and lakes. No problem with that. Um, so, you know, again, I think it's, it is... Money is a huge part of this. Yeah, I think it, it's, you know, California spent, my God, I can't remember the exact number. something like $80 million um, buying masks from China, I think is what happened early on. That I don't even think they ever got delivered. You know, there's just an, an insane amount of waste on on these products. Um, yeah, and, you know, I mean, look, it's it, obviously a lot of these products come out of China. So I'm sure that they were, we know that the Chinese government and, this, and kind of, assembles these Twitter bot armies to try to influence public opinion, where you'll see the same comment repeated on stuff 75 times from different, different profiles. Um, and I'm sure that there was a campaign to get people to wear masks that was, that was kind of financially beneficial to all these manufacturers that are in China to, to make these things. Um, so yeah, really just a complete, it, you know, somebody asked me the other day is like, would a scam be too harsh of a word for this? And I'm like, it's, you know, I, I hate I, I hate anything that kind of sounds like a conspiratorial language, but scam really does kind of seem to fit a lot of this stuff at this point. <laughs> well, we'll have to w- wait and see if Fauci's got shares in in masks out there somewhere. Uh, but I, I'd like to pivot towards children for a second here. It's been disturbing to see kids as young as two being forced to wear masks in schools and and childcare centres. Hasn't quite been so bad here in Australia, but. Uh, you see images in the U.S. of of toddlers having to wear masks. Um, what are the what's the rationale behind uh, mask mandates f- for kids? I have absolutely no idea. If you have an answer, let me know. I have absolutely no clue what their rationale is. <laughs> I mean, realistically, um, you know, I, I don't. When somebody asked the mayor of New York, because New York is kind of famously only masking toddlers, like that's it. That's the only demographic in the in the area that's or in the city that's being forced masking right now. And when somebody asked him about it and said, you know, you're kind of an, out- an outlier here. Why are you doing this? He said, well, New York City is special. So, you know, if we followed other cities. We wouldn't be who we are. I, I, I don't even, you know, how do, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say to that? I mean, that's just, it's, it's so ludicrous. It's hard to take seriously. Um, you know, I think the, the, be- the best explanation that people have had is that they're too young to get vaccinated. I don't know how that makes any sense when we know for a fact that the vaccines don't prevent infection or transmission. 
at all. Um, if anything, I mean, I think it's I think it's zero percent, but um, you know, maybe there's an argument for it being a five percent reduction in infection for a limited amount of time, something like that. Um, so, you know, I don't think that that explanation makes any sense, but that's probably the best one we'll get. Um, the idea that somehow, I mean, I, obviously, I don't think that the masks provide any protection or trans, protecting against transmission or or infection either way. But, um, you know, I've never, nobody has ever really had to answer the question of why in the United States, you know, CDC has different science than the World Health Organization. You know, I, I think it's kind of tied up to this broader issue of uh, the push for censorship on, on social media from government officials and, and other media members. Um, saying, well, you know, we have to censor misinformation, but which one of these outlets is the misinformation? Because the CDC says two five-year-olds need to wear a mask. The World Health Organization says everybody, nobody under six should be forced to mask. European CDC, I think, is anybody under 12 shouldn't be forced to mask. So which, who, who's the misinformation here? You know, which one is, is, the, is lying? Um, nobody ever has to answer these questions. It's one of those great kind of unexplored hypocrisies of, of the modern COVID uh, policy debates. And, um, you know, I, I don't really know what the rationale is for masking toddlers. I, I, it's mind boggling that this is continuing and ha continuing to happen. Um, but it's, it's really hard. It's hard to see it. It's hard to see these images. Like you say, is it a case that, that this is like crate training for, for toddlers, you know, it's like getting them primed to just follow whatever, you know, whatever direction, whatever order is given to them from on high? You know, I, I certainly hope not, but maybe, honestly, maybe, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I, there's that famous quote of, and I'm, you know, I'm not getting it perfectly right, but it's like, don't attribute to malice what can be explained by incompetence or something like that. And so I hate trying to say like, oh, these people are doing it because they're bad people. But, you know, I think masking toddlers in this day and age, it, it, it kind of makes you a bad person. Um, you know, you see famously photos of these politicians where I think it was literally the governor of New York just the other day did this again, too. And famously, Stacey Abrams, uh, a kind of Georgia activist slash political candidate, was at a school. And, you know, there's like 30 kids in the room and none, they're all masked and she's sitting there smiling, no mask on. Um, you know, I, I don't know how they continue to get away with this. I, I think it's it, at some point you kind of have to attribute some of it to malice because, there's, there's just no justification for it to, especially, you know, it's one thing to say when you're forcing everybody else to wear masks that you should do it for in schools too, but to have exclusively schools or exclusively toddlers being masked is, is just beyond the pale to me, especially when we know how low, how low the risk is to kids. So yeah, I, I, I don't have a great answer. I wish I did. I think it's just, it's uh it's really disheartening. And I, you know, I, I worry that some extent you might be right, that it's kind of setting these kids up for, you know, further restrictions on their lives as we go forward. Mm. Well, we'll stick, stick with kids for just another couple of questions here. I, I've read that young children's speech development has been affected by mask mandates. Uh, we're also seeing, I, I heard someone say, I can't remember who, but, but there are kids in the U S now that are speaking with, uh, UK accents because they've been watching so much Peppa Pig, uh, during <laughs> lockdown. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but, um, are we seeing additional negative, uh, negative impacts to children due to masks? Yeah, there was a, a study done. I think it was something like a 37% loss of learning over the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's hard to parse out how much of that is masks versus virtual schooling and, and, uh, when schools being closed and things like that. But 
I think mass have definitely contributed to it. I mean, it, it is, there's, there was tons of research on children needing to see faces for facial to, to, for development, learning development. Um, and it's obviously very, it's common sense. You know, I mean, that's how we, we learn as people to, to read other people and, and learn is seeing faces and, and expressions um, and taking that away from kids is, is obviously going to have negative side effects on top of the side effects from them wearing a mask for so long when, you know, if masks were ever going to work, they had to be used perfectly and properly every time. Nobody can do that. I mean, we see health experts can't do that where, you know, Fauci will be wearing a mask and they'll touch it 40 times and take it off the wrong way. And, you know, nobody is, people reuse them all the time. So when adults are handling it poorly, imagine a kid now, right? And, and how poorly they're handling it and touching their face and sneezing or, and God knows what else into the, into the mask and then being forced to wear it for the rest of the day. And, these horror stories of teachers taping masks to kids' faces. Um, you know, there's bullying, I'm sure, that goes on because of this, where if kids don't want to wear masks or they can't, they're going to get singled out for punishment. I mean, there's tons of stories of you know, 10-year-olds or whatever that have been like, I'm just not going to wear it anymore, I'm done, and then getting you know punished severely for that and solitary confinement type stuff in, inside the schools. Uh, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's a really inexcusable policy that, uh, has happened for so long because there are, there are no benefits. I mean, there's conclusively no benefit. All of the data that we have has shown that there's no fit to it. So all you're getting are harms. And, you know, and it's one thing to put those harms onto the, the shoulders of adults and another to do that on the five-year-olds and 10-year-olds and, and 12-year-olds or whatever. And it's just, uh, it's a, it's one of the most harmful policies I think that, have, that we've done across the country, across the world, really. Uh, to learning development, we're going to be seeing the rep repercussions of this for many, many years to come in ways we probably haven't, haven't really picked up on yet. Quickly running out of time. So just a couple more questions. I wanted to play devil's advocate for a moment. So two two questions that, that mask uh, fanatics might throw your way. They'd say, if masks don't work, why do doctors wear them? Or they might say, if masks don't work, you know, why have we seen a huge drop in, in seasonal flu numbers across the US? How, how do you respond to, to these, these arguments? Definitely had both of those. Um, the first one for the doctors thing, you know, I think one of the biggest ways to, to show that that doesn't hold up to scrutiny is, you know, it's not doctors that were wearing masks. It was specifically surgeons. You know, you, if you went to go see a, a cardiologist in 2019, he wasn't wearing a mask. Um, so it's, it's surgeons. And I think that the reason, the reasons why they were wearing masks in surgery is to stop bacterial droplets, which are much larger than airborne virus particles from getting into uh, an open wound during operation and to stop potentially some of the you know, material or whatever from in the surgery from splattering onto their face as they're doing the operation. Um, in practice, it doesn't work particularly well, even in that setting, where there is some research done about, um, in, about surgical operations. And, and if with the control of like surgeons wore masks and some surgeons didn't, and the rate of post-operation infections was higher for the surgeons that wore masks. So, you know, the, the, the operations they did were, it was actually higher. So in, in theory, they're trying to do two different things, um, not prevent the spread of respiratory viruses. And in practice, the results have been extraordinarily, extraordinarily negative for that anyway. Um, as far as the uh, flu numbers, you know, I think the, the easiest way to show that that's also ludicrous is that flu numbers went to zero before masks were even used by the general population. I do this in the book where I have a chart of showing all the statements of like, don't wear a mask, don't wear a mask, don't wear a mask. The numbers are going down. Numbers get to zero. That's when they say everybody should wear a mask. Um, it's also the case that it went away, to, went to zero across 
across populations where no one was wearing masks. You know, there was no flu in Sweden either, just like there was no flu in Japan or the United States or Australia. So, you know, all these countries that handled COVID completely differently, um, flu had the same numbers. Uh, it's also kind of ridiculous to suggest that like Sweden, you know, everybody would say, oh, Sweden has worse numbers than Norway, but the behaviors between Sweden and Norway are almost identical um, and flu went away in both countries. So it's, it's really, uh, I think it's just kind of like a, but they had obviously they had wildly different COVID numbers for a time. So yeah, I think it, it's neither of those questions are legitimate when you kind of drill down into the data a little bit. So perhaps just one last question in to put a bow on it. Uh, it seems a bit like we've all been played, uh, some for noble reasons. What can we what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again? It's a great question. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think you know, voting people that put this into place in the first place is, the, is maybe the first step. But a lot of times when you replace some of these politicians, who comes in might be even worse. Like the, the, you know, the current governor of New York got in because of Andrew Cuomo's kind of very public scandals. And she's arguably been worse than he was. Um, you know, part of the reason they're still force masking toddlers is, is her rule. So it's, it's not always the case that you can just replace the person in charge and, and somebody new will come in that's better. I mean, a lot of the COVID czars that have been replacing the United States, the person replacing them is worse. So, um, you know, I, 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 it's tough. I think you have to maybe, you know, the next time they try to do a mandate, they're seeing just broad non-compliance. I, I honestly don't have a great answer to how to ensure that this never happens. You know, I think just generally, I, I do think that there might be some value in voting out the people that were most associated with these, these MPIs. Um, it, it, I think that that could could have some impact where they start to put the dots together and say, you know, maybe these pop, these policies are just no longer popular anymore. Um, but I, you know, I think the biggest thing would be try to find political candidates that are saying, I will never allow this to happen. It will never happen on my watch. We, we, it's never going to happen again. Um, and, you know, publicly acknowledging the mistakes that were made. Um, that's that's key. I think we you can't just I think it, we've learned it's not enough for them to just end the policies. They have to admit that they were wrong and why they were wrong, because if they don't, there will always be an excuse for them to come back because COVID is never going away. We're always going to have a surge. The next surge will be coming. The next variant will be coming. Um, and they'll always have this. Like, well, we know it works now. And, and that will be their excuse. So. Yeah, I'm a bit concerned about that, unfortunately. Well, a couple of things that people can do is read your book, Unmask, The Global Failure of COVID Mask Mandates, and to also follow you at, uh, at ENMSC uh, on Twitter. And you also have Substack, which people need to get onto as well. Yeah, no, thank Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Ian. We're, we're on a bit of a mission here on our show to uh, sort of put a lid on, on the COVID uh, the COVID years by by speaking to experts such as yourself or you know journalists, writers, people that are covering the story. So thanks so much for, for coming on board. We, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the, the kind words. It was a great conversation. Appreciate it all the time. And yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can put a lid on this time period. We'll see. Thanks, Ian. Thank you.